Hello, friends of the On Sunday Show. Thanks for joining me on this episode 11. Man, I'm glad you're here. We're moving right along, pressing deeper and deeper into this old double-digit territory. Hey, today I want to talk to you a little bit about the topic of community and accountability, because I think we confuse one for the other. I think we assume that community, a genuine community, can be produced by accountability, and that our accountability groups can be a source for producing genuine community. So I want to talk about that with you today. You know, something that I've brought up in past episodes that I want to mention again in this episode is this quote by Ignatius of Antioch from around 110 AD. And the words of Ignatius that he spoke in about 110 AD were firmly in place by the middle of the 3rd century. So around 250 AD, or by 250 AD, these words of Ignatius were deeply entrenched in the assemblies, in the congregations, in the churches at that time. And Ignatius said this, Follow your bishop as Jesus Christ followed the Father. Let no one do anything in the church apart from the bishop. Holy communion is valid when celebrated by the bishop or someone the bishop authorizes. Those words were considered to be the norm and assumed to be some kind of directives originating in Scripture by at least the mid-3rd century. But they're not. Tradition, and tradition alone, has given us this model, this top-down authority model. This hierarchy of authority within the church comes from church tradition. It's nowhere in the New Testament. And this tradition of of top-down authority, of this top-down authority structure that we see in most of our modern institutional churches, came to us directly from Ignatius through the vehicle of church history. The one-pastor authority model that we tend to unquestionably accept as originating in Scripture is actually something that has been handed to us by religious history. It's been handed to us by religious tradition, and we accept it without question. Not only do we accept it without question, but we've also complicated it by adding layer after layer of hierarchical organizational strata, where pastors are over pastors, and those pastors are over other pastors. And it seems like the higher the structure rises, the more complicated the honorific titles become. Our church authority structures, in my opinion, more closely resemble corporate America than anything in the New Testament. I think we can add this. We can say that we've taught tradition as the commands of God for so long that it doesn't dawn on us to look past those traditions, to open up our New Testament and ask some hard and honest questions, because those questions threaten 2,000 plus years of those same entrenched traditions. But with so many people leaving the institutional church, not because they left Jesus, but because they feel the church has to varying degrees, it's time to start asking why. Will Ignatius' words let no one do anything in the church apart from the bishop, and Holy Communion is valid when celebrated by the bishop or someone the bishop authorizes, stand in the light of Scripture? Or should we jettison it as tradition that's proven harmful to the assembly and has proven harmful to the priesthood of all believers? And as it relates to our conversation today, how does this top-down authority structure that's present in so many institutional churches impact genuine community? And that's where I want us to take a closer look. I think it's safe to say that most of us have come to think that community and accountability are two sides of the same coin, or that one is necessary, accountability, for the other to function, community. In other words, accountability is necessary to see community happen. I think we all agree that community is the agreed-upon goal 
and we think that accountability is the bus that will take us there, but it's not. That bus, in my opinion, is traveling in the opposite direction. I think that we mistakenly believe that accountability is the magic ingredient that's going to lead us in the genuine community. In fact, we try to use accountability as a catalyst to form community. Stop going to a Sunday morning event or tell someone you're not currently involved in in an institutionally sanctioned small group, and they'll respond with something like, well, who are you accountable to? We've so equated community and accountability that we don't recognize how far apart the two are from one another. I was in a recent conversation with a friend who is a pastor at a local institutional church where I live, and when our discussion turned to small groups and he discovered that I wasn't in one that was sanctioned by a local institution, his immediate response to me was the same. He asked, well then, who are you accountable to? As if the Holy Spirit's work in my life in leading me to community elsewhere was somehow inadequate. His follow-up statement was predictable when he said, you need to be accountable to and under the authority of the elders. And we've talked some about elders and pastors and authority and, and leaders and leadership. I would encourage you to go back and re-listen to those episodes if you need to. But what is accountability? How can we define accountability? The best definition that I've heard of accountability describes it as the right to compel action with the enforcement of that right accomplished through rewards and punishments to conform behavior. Let me say that again. At the best definition that I've heard of accountability describes it this way. It's the right to compel action with the enforcement of that right accomplished through rewards and punishments to conform behavior. I would add to that that in the church we use guilt, shame, fear, threats, and condemnation in the list of punishments for nonconformity to those rules, whatever those rules are. I think it goes without saying that accountability is needed in society to prevent chaos and, and crime and anarchy. I think that's Romans 13. While there is definitely a place for accountability within the church where top-down authority structures become abusive or rogue narcissistic leaders have unrestricted license to abuse others privately or in public, we brought accountability into the church in a failed attempt to use it as a vehicle to compel genuine community. I've been a part of that system, and you probably have too. I've initiated it as a pastor and been on the receiving end of it as one sitting passive in the pew. As pastors, we ask the question, well, how can we get more commitment and participation in our midweek small groups? And we answer it by making participation a requirement in our formal church membership contracts, thereby obligating people to comply with the threat for noncompliance spelled out in that same membership contract which is usually church discipline or being expelled from the church for failure to comply. We also assume that greater participation in our institution's midweek small groups can be attained by adding more rules or restrictions onto people like, well, you're in this age group, so you need to be in one of these groups. Or, you live in this geographical area, so you need to be involved in group A, B, or C, whatever those groups are. Instead of letting genuine community just happen, but genuine community does happen when we stop trying to force it via compliance to rules. I don't know about you, but I've been in countless conversations with people involved in midweek small groups who are there by fear-based compulsion or guilt. They have no friends there, or they just feel out of place because they've been herded into a group by some organizational requirement. They're there simply because they've been told they have to be there, and they fear reprisal if they should pull out. Someone recently told me, 
we've been told that we have to be in this small group because of our age, but our close friends are in another small group. We don't know anybody here, and we want to be with them, but we've been told that we have to be here instead. It seems so forced that we don't even go anymore. And I can tell you, that's a common theme. But don't take my word for it. Become a formal member in most local institutions and don't join an institutionally sanctioned small group and see what happens. I can tell you that your days there are numbered. As I mentioned earlier, I've been on both sides of this experience as both a pastor and one sitting passive in the pew. As pastors, we herd people into these propped-up accountability-driven environments and call it community and pat ourselves on the back and think we've done a great job of creating community. But that's not community. Who are we kidding? It's a cheap substitute for community. Listen, community that is built on obligation to rules and fear of punishment for failure to conform to the rules is no community at all. In fact, the very things that we're using to prop up community are themselves community killers. And yet, accountability remains our tool of choice to usher people into supposed community. We use the accountability trump card to compel people to join our midweek small groups or our accountability groups. So they go, propelled by false guilt, an obligation to duty, and fear of punishment or reprisal if they fail to go. And then we wonder why most of our small groups have such a high turnover rate, and their attendance has to be constantly policed and monitored. The answer to all this, I believe, is amazingly simple. They fail because they're based on accountability and obligation and fear, instead of being built on love and affection. But obligation is a cheap substitute for genuine affection, isn't it? Accountability may get external results in the form of temporary behavior modification, but it can't capture a heart. Accountability can compel people to jump through hoops and lie about spiritual progress, whatever that means. But jumping through hoops isn't community, and it eventually exhausts you and causes you to give up altogether. People are are so busy jumping through hoops that they don't have time for real community or to just love their neighbor, should that option present itself. And if they choose to stop jumping through those hoops that we've set up for them, they run the real risk of being ostracized or kicked out altogether, according to the membership contract that they signed. But listen, Jesus came to set the captives free, not to hold them accountable. So let's ask the question, in light of this conversation, what is genuine community? I once heard someone say this, the incarnation is God's full-on commitment to win by love and affection what fear and law could never win. I would add to that that obligation, shame, and guilt also go into that list. And by adding those things, it would change the definition to the incarnation is God's full-on commitment to win by love and affection what fear, law, obligation, shame, and guilt could never win. We see genuine community revealed in the incarnation, and it's there that Jesus brings us into relationship with the Father that's based solely on love and affection. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. And in that revealing, in that unveiling, we get a glimpse of that first community, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's into that community, first and foremost, that Jesus brings us. You'll remember Jesus' words in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, when he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Listen, accountability leads to heavy-laden hearts and burnout. But the community that Jesus gives, the community that Jesus provides, that he brings to us, leads us into rest for our souls. Why? Because genuine community is founded on love and affection alone. Jesus showed us a father who isn't mad at us or insisting that we jump through hoops to keep ourselves accountable. Jesus showed us a father who's eager to share with us in community. You remember Luke chapter 12 and verse 32 when Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Christian, does that sound like a God who's mad at you? Does that sound like an invitation into community that requires anything of you? Does that sound like obligation with threats of punishment if you fail to jump through all the hoops? Or does that sound like one-way love and one-way affection with no strings attached? It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to just give it to you. This is community in action at the highest level. Let me give you a personal example. My wife Susan and I have been married almost 45 years. It'll be 45 years this summer. We're best friends. That doesn't mean we don't have problems. Like anybody else, we do. If you've listened to our Grace Cafe podcast uh, for any length of time, you've probably already figured out that we like each other, that we enjoy each other, that we love each other. But at times, what runs deeper than that love, or is more tangible than that love, is affection. In other words, I enjoy showing affection to Susan, and she enjoys showing affection to me. I want to do things for her. I want to spend time together. I think about her when we're apart. That kind of engagement can't be forced. That kind of engagement can't be demanded or coerced or threatened. That kind of engagement is the community that the Father draws us into. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Did you catch that? It's his good pleasure. Jesus shows us a father that has love and affection for us. And he shows us genuine community. Someone once said that we're walking in genuine community when we can say someone is a genuine friend and there's no pretending or coercion. But accountability encourages people to pretend. Community invites us into the father's affection where we can feel safe and accepted fully known and fully loved without any pretense. In an accountability structure, we learn to hide the stuff that's the real us or that we think will disappoint others or disappoint God. We learn how to fake it and which masks to wear to fake people out in every circumstance. In accountability structures, we're focused on getting people to do what they don't really want to do by way of manipulation and behavior management with corresponding rewards and punishments for failure to comply. True community that's built on love and affection instead of obligation to the rules is a threat to our top-down authority structures in the institutional church because it can't be controlled or manipulated. It's going to do what it needs to do to remain genuine, and that may or may not feed the institution's agenda. We have been made members of Christ's body not to control each other but to love each other to share life together and rescue one another when rescue needs to happen, not to hold each other accountable to behavior modification and sin management via guilt, shame, and threat of pending punishment for nonconformity. Genuine community is Holy Spirit-driven, and it can't be faked. In accountability models, we end up lying and being faked to keep people off of our backs. Our accountability groups produce liars. 
here I am. It's 20 or 30 minutes before the start of my accountability group meeting, and because I have a busy life with more than enough stress of its own, I haven't read my chapter. I've been too tired. So I skim it real quick so that when I get there, I can say I read it, and in so doing, keep the sin management team off my back. And here's a news flash: Almost everyone else in the accountability group is lying too. They're tired, and they're tired of faking it and having to jump through hoops out of fear and obligation. But love takes us further than fear and obligation ever can. Fear makes us do the minimum, doesn't it? But love knows no bounds. Shame, I suppose, is a useful tool to exploit conformity to the rules, but it too is a poor substitute for love and affection. I like the wording of the NIV Bible in 1 Corinthians 13 when it says that love keeps no records of wrong. Love keeps no records of wrong committed against it. But that's what our accountability groups do. We're keeping tabs. We're keeping records. But that isn't what love does. That isn't how love functions. And it's that love that leads us into genuine community, not rules-based accountability with threats of punishment for failure to comply. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, that accountability bus is heading in the wrong direction. It's heading us away from genuine community, not toward it. Genuine community is based on love alone, with no hoops to jump through. And that love takes us further than fear and obligation ever can. As I said, fear makes us do the minimum, but love knows no bounds. Hey, thanks for joining me on this episode 11 of the Unsunday Show. It means a lot to me that you're sticking with me and that you're participating in this ongoing conversation. I'd love to hear from you. I have a contact form on my website. You can get there by going to unsunday.com. So I'd love to hear from you. Again, it's unsunday.com. And until next time, bye, y'all. Thank you.